Curriculum Associates presents the Extraordinary Educators Podcast with hosts Danielle Sullivan and Sari Laveris. Your tips, best practices, and successes to improve your teaching and leadership and drive student growth and learning. We're here for you. Hello, everyone. I'm Danielle. Welcome to the Extraordinary Educator Podcast. And I'm Sari. This week, we are joined by Brianna, Extraordinary Educator in Ohio, who has been on the podcast before, and we were pumped to welcome her back. Um, She recently wrote a blog uh, that we will link in the show notes about teaching her students to advocate for themselves in academic settings. And we spoke to her about that and also just what she's thinking about as she understands more and learns more throughout her career. And my favorite topic, neuroscience. And she's giving some really interesting ideas for middle school educators. So if you're a middle school educator or even just a human, I think you'll really find a lot of what Brianna has to share really interesting. So let's dig into Brianna's podcast. Welcome back, Brianna. We're so excited for you to be here. How are you? I am doing well and excited for the school year. So Brianna, tell us, what have you been thinking about since we last spoke to you? What's What's been going on in your world? Well, as every teacher knows, every group of students that you have is completely different from the group that you have before. And I think teachers that are extremely excellent at their job, they learn to adapt from that information. And I have watched mentors, teachers in my life do that almost flawlessly, which has been really fun to watch. But as we're adapting to students who have gone through COVID and now adjusting to new regulations in our states and the changing focus on like mental health in the classroom, and students learning to advocate for their own needs. I think that over time, my focus and my approach to the classroom has also changed for the positive and I hope for the better with each day as I grow as a teacher. So I'm really excited as we enter this school year to try out things that I'm learning from new research that I'm studying, finishing up my master's this summer. I love a good good bit of research. So what are some things that you are leaning into as you approach individualizing for students? This summer, I was able to take a neuroscience and education course by a professor who studied like neuroscience in relation to education at John Hopkins University. And it was really interesting to see the juxtaposition between neuroscience and how students learn in the classroom and how those two things can relate and help each other. And I found a lot of ties with how I approach classroom management and relationships with students as it's framed with the neuroscience and how students' brains work during that time. Yes. I mean, if you've ever listened to this podcast or ever seen anything I've ever talked about, I agree. It is so important to understand how brains learn. Are there three different ideas that really stand out to you as you're starting to think about, like you said, classroom management? just learning like the way brains learn, like what are the top three that you've learned that you are excited to apply? Ooh, that's a fantastic question. So I would say as an individual, I've always been really interested in the neuroscience and I hope with time I gain more knowledge. So choosing just three is difficult. That's a difficult task. But I think that something that really sticks out to me that is through all of the research is that like play is a trauma disruptor in your brain with how you respond to things. So how you approach your cl- either your classroom management and your conversations and how you approach students is extremely important integrating play into that. The past couple of years, I think teachers can agree that how we approach education has changed because the needs of our students have changed a lot. And in that, something I've noticed, especially working with middle school students, is that 
often when we get in the grind of focusing on the content and getting into everything, students have, for whatever reason, in some areas, gotten the message that play is not as important and it's not necessary when in fact it is. So integrating play into what I'm doing in the classroom and how I approach students or even small things. Like I noticed partway through last year, my students were a little lethargic in the morning and weren't really looking forward to being in the building. It was like hitting that like snow. Yeah, I just walked through 10 minutes of slush, you know, to get here. And we started doing just fun things like the one day I had bubbles and we blew bubbles at each other all home in the morning before they left for their classes, like little things like that. Or as we're reading stories, like integrating movement and play into that. And it like, attaches to their muscle memory. And it's a really important, fun interaction. And also the relationships build so much better with that. Second thing I would say that I've learned is that it's really important to take into consideration how much time it takes for someone to learn new information and integrate it into their long-term memory. And that Mm -hmm. a lot of times requires so many gaps. So looking over it and reviewing it and spending time in between downtime doing different things, instead of spending an entire class period focusing on something, which I already knew, but I think the emphasis on it reminds me as I'm structuring this next year, how I want it to look in our classroom as students are transitioning from so many things they're learning throughout the day. How do you incorporate that into your planning? Sorry to to interrupt you there. I'm just curious, like for those listening, I'm sure that really resonates with them because I'm getting flashbacks of being in the classroom. And it's like, you have this very comprehensive, I guess you could call it scope and sequence where you have to get to X, Y, and Z and these standards are for the state test. So I'm just curious what your thoughts are there. Something that I found helpful is I think about where are students in this space? So like if I take a lesson plan that I have any of them and I set it down right now, I think about where are students in this space when we are doing this lesson? And nine times out of 10, if you talk to teachers, they're in the same place the majority of the time that you do the lesson. Or think about what are students doing during that lesson? And if you look at a comprehensive lesson plan and you find the ones that are most successful, a lot of times you'll notice that students are either moving or engaging or playing in some way or have breaks in between what they're learning. And that's found to be effective, even if it's just like moving to a different space in the classroom multiple times throughout the class period. I know with middle school students, there can be a fear, especially with new teachers. If I move them, the transitions are going to struggle, but routine really does matter. So if you have a set routine in your classroom, I guess that could be my number three, that students can predict, then the unpredictability of moving around and engaging with play and giving them the opportunity to ask for what they need and giving them that space is more available because there is already a routine in place that they're used to living in guidelines with. And I love that you just said that because sometimes when you say the word play in middle school, teachers think chaos, destruction, out of control. And that is not the case. Like there's a lot of wonderful ways to structure play. Like I love the bubbles. I often share with educators dancing the alphabet with your butt. So I would love for if you want to take that on, please send me a video. If you do that with your students, it's a minute you put on any music, you literally write the alphabet with your butt. It's a really great laughter, music, movement, play combination of a lot of those trauma interrupters, as you said. So it kind of brings it together in one activity, too. But if you have the right systems, anything is possible. Brianna, you are an inspiration. Every time we talk to you, you give you light us up, you give us ideas. So. We're about at time, but it just what's one more nugget as teachers are listening to this and digging in and and she wrote a blog, y'all. So we'll link that in the in, in the show notes too to check out more from Brianna. 
What's something that you really wish you knew that now you know that maybe educators listening to this could start? Wow. I feel like there's so much knowledge that I wish I had known that I'm so glad that I know now. And I'm excited to be in the position to share with other educators in my building through some of our mentorship programs. But something that really stands out to me is that students need to be taught how to ask for what they need. And they need to be taught that it's okay to ask for what they need. And I think when you put systems in place, like some of the advocacy strategies I've divided into like time in and time out, um, needs in the classroom and students are able to ask for that, they not only develop into students who have better relationships with each other, but they have a better relationship with learning and they have a better relationship with advocating for their own learning needs in the classroom. Because just like when we're learning to read, we first learn to identify with like our own name and where we live and the people that we know and the things that we care about. When students are learning to advocate for their own education, like I need this support or I need extra time or I would like to take this deeper than we have currently or I'm interested in this topic. The step before that that I think is extremely important with educators is being able to identify your own emotions and what you need when it comes to social emotional level. And the step that we are thinking that we want students to be able to achieve, they cannot achieve until we've taught them and supported that need first. And if I could go back to my early teaching self, I would spend some time developing something in my classroom for, especially since I started with eighth graders, for them to tell me what they needed so we could move forward and have great relationships in our classroom structure and also be able to do so many more fun things with play and learning because of the trust that's built through that. Thank you so much for sharing that, Brianna. I think you're not only teaching you know, students this skill that's going to help them be successful in school, but this is like truly going to be life-changing. I think there's a lot of adults who don't do this well um, or don't understand how and when to ask for help. Or like you said, you know, I need more time. First of all, identifying what you need. Because I think oftentimes we struggle and we it kind of just ends there. I'm feeling frustrated. Done. Right. But just the, the coping mechanisms and advocacy and and all the things you mentioned are are just so helpful for us to hear and for our listeners, hopefully, too. So thank you for being back on the podcast. We absolutely love speaking with you and hearing all of your all of your wisdom and insights. So really appreciate it. Same to you. It is so much fun talking to the two of you. I always look forward to it. Get inspired by following us on social media and please tag us in your posts on Twitter at Curriculum Asoche and on Instagram at MyIReady. If you have feedback about the podcast, a topic of interest, or want to be a guest, email extraordinaryeducators at cainc.com. Subscribe where you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to help more educators like you join the conversation, please leave a review. Remember, be you, be true, be extraordinary. The Extraordinary Educator Podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates, editing by Whiteboard Geeks, social media by Atsidi Hannon, guest booking by Sari Labaris, production by Haley Browning. This podcast is copyrighted materials and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates. Mm-hmm.